Talk Zone presents Motivation with a Purpose Radio, the show that highlights the inspirational stories of people from all walks of life. Now, bringing you real inspiration, here are your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Yes, yes, indeed. Good morning, everyone. It is uh, Friday morning here in the Northwest. Uh, 11 a.m. Pacific time, and we are back with you here on Motivation with the Purpose on TalkZone.com. And uh, indeed, this is where we attempt to inspire, motivate, and challenge you to live and work with purpose. Uh, I am Zeke Bambola, and my co-host, Rich Hallstrom, will be here really soon uh, as we work through some technical difficulties. But look, we have a great show planned for you today with uh, Brock Heward. ESPN College Football Analyst is our very special guest, followed by a conversation with uh, sports historian Randy Roberts, who will tell us all about his latest book, Rising Tide. You know, we want to take some time to remind you also uh, about uh, where you can find us, obviously on Facebook at, at MWP Radio Man, MWP, again, Motivation with the Purpose, RadioMan.com. And uh, on Twitter at MWP Radio Man, and of course right here on Talk Zone, the Talk Channel, as well as the Christian Channel. So um, you know, we are in as we are in terms of co-hosts of this show. We are in for a phenomenal treat with our guest Brock Heward, and uh, Brock has co-hosted a local radio show for ESPN 710 in Seattle, Washington, since 2009. And after hearing, uh, after earning the Gatorade Player of the Year honor at Puyallup High School, Brock went on to a record-setting career at the University of Washington and then spent six years in the NFL, including four with the Seahawks, our own Seattle Seahawks. And so without much uh, further ado, let's uh, welcome our ESPN analyst Brock Hubert to Motivation with a Purpose this morning. Okay, Brock, what are the biggest storylines in your mind as we head into the 2013 college football season? <laughs> Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with Johnny Manziel? Do you want to start with Alabama? Do you want to start with the SEC looking for their eighth consecutive BCS National Championship? Can Urban Meyer and Ohio State compete, and can they get over the hump and do what they did a year ago and run the table and and who knows, maybe match up with an Alabama. Can Alabama, I think here it is, if I was to narrow it down to one, can Alabama do something that's never been done in the history of the game? I think anytime something is unprecedented, that's got to be the dominating storyline, and that's what they're looking for in Tuscaloosa, a third consecutive national championship. Never been done, and A.J. McCarron would be at the helm of leading all of those championships, which uh, which would be you know truly a remarkable, remarkable statement for what Nick Saban's done in this era. Why has Nick Saban been able to put the Alabama team in this position, Brock, when you take a look at Alabama? I think there's a couple things. I think, number one, any coach and getting a chance to travel around college football and, and get into the facilities and meet with many of these coaches during the season, every one of them says the same thing. Recruiting is the lifeblood. Life mm-hmm. Recruiting is everything. And all you got to do is look at his recruiting classes and success begets success. But more importantly... And I think this is why he's had the unprecedented success is because he will take top recruits and he will cut entitlement off at the knees. They come in and they develop their talent. Was chatting with AJ McCarron actually for a story we did on him. He came to Tuscaloosa at 175 pounds, six foot, you know, just under six foot four. He benched 185 and he could not squat 225. He's going to leave Alabama. 
squatting over 600 pounds and bench pressing 365 and has added, uh, he's about 220 pounds. So nearly 40 pounds, 40 plus pounds of strength. And that, and that only happens in a program that understands it's not just about entitlement and playing on Saturdays. It's about doing the dirty work behind the scenes. As I said, cutting that entitlement out and, uh, and they do it as well as anybody in the country. Brock, man, do you have an idea uh, how to do that? Because, I mean, I, I want to hear just some a couple of spots, if you can remember, because I'm looking at these young kids coming out of high school, and you're right, they're coming up with all these, you know, so-called expectations. Yeah, I'm going to Alabama, I'm riding high, and I'm, I'm, I'm this and that and the other thing. And you get up against a Nick Sibin, you know, who has done it over and over again, multiple schools. How, how What are some Things really. Can you give me one or two things that you've heard that he does really check that that attitude at the door when they come in? You're going to work. You're going to work, and if you don't work, you're not going to play. And and when you have the level of success they've had, and you've got leaders that are committed to working, then these young guys know in know when they come in that they get it real quickly. And and this is the way it's going to be. And if if you're not going to buy in, you're not going to do it. Well, a you're not going to be a part of this program. B you're not going to wear the rings that everybody has. And then C. And this is where the game has really changed as well. And, and my older brother, Damon, is now working at the University of Washington and working real closely with the football program and, and working in particular on the recruiting end of things because Steve Sarkeesian, like Nick Saban, is going to preach about your opportunity to get to the NFL. These kids today want to know, how do I get to the league? How do I, how do I get my paycheck? How do I create generational wealth for for my family how, how do i get there well nick saban's gotten how many guys there time and again and, right. and and that pitch and that part of it and saying not only are you going to get the hardware collegiately and here's all of our rings that we have all over our facility well here's also the draft picks year after year after year after year so i think the track record zeke and then the, the way they work i mean it's it's incredibly physical it's incredibly demanding and i think those players know that if I can achieve here, that if I can get through this program and I can have success here, well, like so many ahead of me, uh, my, my glory is not just going to be in national championships in Alabama. It's also going to be getting to the NFL and, and, and creating, as I said, some of that generational opportunity that the NFL does. So as we talk about someone like Alabama and Nick Saban in this case, you know, just about the team, if you can remember, I'm talking to Agent McCurran even, what do you think they're relying on most? Their defense this year, or you think it's going to be right on uh, on, the, on the quarterback's head here? Anytime you have a defensive head coach, it always starts with defense in the run game. It's what, it's what they do. It's, it's where they develop their people as well as anybody, and that's in that front seven, the line of scrimmage. They had three offensive linemen drafted last year. Two of them in the first round, they continue to churn out those war daddies at the line of scrimmage. And, and Nick Saban, I don't think, will ever go away as a mm. defensive-minded head coach of playing great defense, running the ball, and then when you need to, to take your shots and throw it through the air. That's That's been a pretty good recipe. It's pretty tried and true through the years. And I would expect them, Zeke, to play a really good defense once again, be able to run the ball. T.J. yelled in their tailback a 1,000 yards a season ago, big, physical, bruising, McCarron is so efficient, was the country's number one uh, efficient, most efficient passer last season. So many pieces in place. That's why just about everybody's predicting that they're going to get that eight championship. And, and right now they're, they're the favorite to get it done yet again. Brock, who are your top five teams as we go into the season and why? Alabama's clearly number one and they're ahead of the class. I think everybody is chasing them. There, there seems to be some level of consensus that Ohio State 
you'll see Oregon and Stanford, I think just a tick below from a physicality standpoint. You know, those are probably my top four. And then number five is all over the place, to be quite honest with you. Is it is it Clemson out of the ACC because of the schedule they'll play? Is it another SEC school? You know, is it is it Florida or Georgia? Georgia's so good offensively. South Carolina's so good defensively. I think those would probably be my four, not to dodge it. And the number five would be somewhat of a revolving door. But everybody, I mean, everybody is chasing Alabama. I don't think LSU is going to be what they've been in the past. Uh, Auburn is still a work in progress. A lot of that SEC East and, and West is still looking up to Alabama as the head of the class. Brock, that leads me into my next question. Does anybody have the skills to challenge the SEC supremacy right now? Well, Ohio State was pretty good last year. I'll be curious if they can do it again. They were 12-0. and 0. It's, it, it's unfortunate. If you were to give me Ohio State's team from last year with John Simon and so many of their people up front and give me Braxton Miller this year, you know, if, if I could have that combination. I mean, it went 12-0 and 0 last year, even as Braxton was taking baby steps. Uh, but if, if you could give me some of those horses back. So they, they've got a few unknowns for me. I know Urban is really excited, Urban Meyer, about some of his freshmen and impact players. He expects Braxton to take a, a significant step in this being his junior year from a passing game standpoint. And, you know, the Big Ten is going to give them an opportunity. They are, uh, you know, I, I think there's probably a legitimate debate uh, as to where Alabama is with the rest of the SEC is where Ohio State stands to the rest of the Big Ten. Maybe Michigan's a little bit closer, but, I mean, Ohio State is clearly the head of that class as well. And with a favorable schedule and playing in that conference, I think we'll give itself an opportunity to get to that title game. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the Big Ten, you know, and obviously I think I think last year they're probably one on the top, especially on the defensive side of the ball, they were one of the top uh, conferences out there with putting players in the NFL. But we're going to be teasing back and forth, I know, Brock, to you, and I want to, even right now, start to tease a little bit. You mentioned a couple of teams of your beloved Pac-12, being a Pac-10 uh, Pac or Pac-12 alum yourself. And, um, you know, as we talk about these different conferences with the Big, T- the Big Ten, the SEC, uh, here you've got uh, possibly Stanford and Oregon in your top five. Um, yeah. Is that a real push for the Pac-12? Or what do you think the Pac-12 is going to stand like this this yeah. year? Yeah, I think the Pac-12 North is is one of those really strong divisions in all of football. I mean, the SEC West still has the Alabamas, the Arkansas, the Auburns, the LSUs, and Ole Miss that's improved. I mean, the SEC West, because of Alabama, is still the toughest division in college football. But I think number two on that list is going to be the Pac-12 North with Oregon, with Stanford, with an improving, solid Oregon State team, and the guys right here in our backyard. And that's the University of Washington, Steve Sarkeesian in year number five. that has got a lot of the skill components. I think it's still searching for its people at the line of scrimmage. But the but the Pac-12 North is, is uh, you know, if I had to, to rank the order of the toughest divisions within the conferences of college football, I think clearly the Pac-12 North is behind only the SEC West. And and it will be, I think, for both Stanford and Oregon, about a four-game season. I think their depth, I think their talent, and their experience, I think I could write down about eight wins, nine wins for both of them. And then really it becomes not only the head-to-head matchup with one another later this season, also whether or not they can handle the week-in, week-out with the, with, with the Washingtons, with the Oregon States, you know, with, uh, with the USC's, with some of the teams are going to face out of the South, about a four game schedule for both of them. And right. whoever can run that table, if they can go 12 and 0, 
which, you know, we always love talking about this before the season and never really happens that comes to fruition. Somebody ultimately stumbles and stubs their toe. But if they can run the table, you're talking about one of those two, Ohio State and Alabama, I think, ahead of the class. You know, you think Ohio State and Alabama are ahead of the class, Brock, because of they of what they have going on at the quarterback position. You, you yourself being a former uh, quarterback, or where is the edge for those? Yeah, I think for Alabama, it's the line of scrimmage. You know, bar none. I think you saw that play out last year, even against a, a Notre Dame team that that at least statistically speaking was was pretty good and, and stopped a lot of people at the line of scrimmage, and you saw them just make Notre Dame look like a JV team. And that's where that's where Alabama, their depth, their size, their overall strength is just really, really unmatched. And A.J. just has a fantastic level of experience and, and is so comfortable and so efficient with their system. Braxton is very good. Uh, Marcus Mariota, I think, is a top-flight guy, and I can't wait to watch him this year. He's a legitimate NFL quarterback. Kevin Hogan at Stanford came on last year. He, he provided a nice little mix but still has – I think a ways to go in experience. So I don't, I don't know if it's just solely the, the quarterback at Ohio State and Alabama. I think it's really in totality. And it's not, you know, I mean, Ohio State, Oregon, Stanford, I don't think there's much disparity there. I really don't. I think they're on pretty level playing field. It's just everybody, it seems like in this 20 minutes here we're talking, everybody's chasing Alabama. And I know that's what so many of my peers in the industry feel as well. Brock, as we talk about this continuing here, I, I want to uh, uh, talk a little bit more about you because I know you're watching all of these and you're talking about these quarterbacks and you see them from a whole different analytical aspect than we do as fans. You know, you're being a quarterback yourself with your, with your lovely Huskies and uh, in the NFL and so forth. But I want to talk about Keith Price a little bit, especially since we're in Pac-12 country and Husky country. But before I get there, I'm a little shocked, too. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I did notice the difference between uh, the defense before Justin Wilcox, excuse me, as Justin Wilcox got there, and now that they're projected to be somewhere in the top 25, I guess, and the Huskies yeah. are in defense. Man, where did that come from? He's really good. He and Peter Sermon and the rest of that staff, Hayward, the secondary coach as well, they, they are, if you were to go over there, guys, and then get a chance to really see them teach, that's what the great coaches are. And, and that's what Nick Saban is. When you watch him mic'd up and not to circle everything back to Alabama or an Urban Meyer who was on Sports Center today, mic'd up. And when you hear those guys, the greatest coaches are always going to say that. That's what John Wooden used to say. I am a teacher first. I played for Mike Holmgren here in Seattle. He was a high school teacher for so many years. It's their ability to teach. And Justin Wilcox and Peter Sermon and so many of the guys on that defensive staff have a wonderful pedigree. Uh, they've, they've cut their teeth in other places, had a lot of success for Wilcox, had a lot of success at Boise. Ask the folks in Tennessee how much they missed him last year. I mean, he is an excellent teacher. I think puts his personnel in a, in a, in a really good place to have success. I know that he would love to have a couple more war daddies at the line of scrimmage. I, I know that he would love a Steve Edmond or a Donald Jones or some of the boys back in the day that were so good at the point of attack. Mm. That's the area that he still is a work in progress uh, in, in the program, I think, on both sides of the ball. And that's, that's why they're not in the conversation right now with an Oregon and a Stanford. It's why they're at the bottom of the top 25, scratching and clawing and trying to get over that seven-win hump, is you need those big bodies at the point of attack because yeah. Justin and Peter and that crew, uh, they can do it with their linebackers. They've got good corners. They've got good safeties. They've got really good linebackers. But finding some difference makers on the defensive line, that continues to be their challenge. 
Yeah. So, so as you say that now, as I said, I led, I led to it a little prematurely there, but Keith Price, man, he's got a big tag on his head this year, doesn't he? Uh, yes. Yes, he does. And as much as that, he has just a tremendous opportunity. I mean, he's, he's got an Austin Safarian Jenkins and a Cason Williams and a Bishop Sankey, and they love some of these freshmen that have come in and, and he is so comfortable. And, and, and obviously, and I know what he felt a little bit. I saw my, my tenure at the University of Washington faced some real adversity. Now, it faced adversity in my final year there before I headed off and was fortunate to, to make a living for a few years in the NFL. For, for Keith, it's different. He's going to have to bounce back while he's there after a brilliant 2011, uh, ate a big pie, a, a big slice of humble pie in 2012. Not all his fault. Got battered, mm-hmm. got bruised, got beat up. It was too dependent, I think, in many ways on him. His quarterback clock that I like to talk about, that quarterback clock of knowing when to run, knowing when to tuck it, knowing when to stay alive, knowing how to protect the football. That that clock got a little bit screwed up a season ago. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and then, once again, it's a broken record, but it's simple. In the game of football, I don't care what level you play, if it's junior high, high school, college, or pro, if you can't be good at the line of scrimmage, it's hard for all your fancy cars and your fancy talent and your fancy skill position guys to really thrive. So if it can settle down in front of him, Keith showed in 2011 what he's capable of doing. Hmm. Brock, we're probably going to take a break in a little bit here as we come back. But I want, but uh, I mean, before we get there, I want you to lead us a little bit. Now, as you talk about Keith Price, and you know, I am looking at your career obviously our beloved husk we watch you for years here do your thing and excel to the next level and i want you to looking at your career career and what you went through even getting to the nfl and so forth especially through washington if you were sitting down one-on-one with keith price right now where he is this year where would you take him mentally it's the word that he's used and his coach used a bunch and mike holmgren said all the time and tony dungy in indianapolis did as well and that word is trust you have got to trust, first of all, you have got to trust your own skill set and what you can bring to the table. And you've got to be Keith Price and, and, and who you are and the way that you were made and the way that you're gifted and not try to be anybody else. So, so number one, you've got to trust your own stuff. Like a great pitcher, you've got to trust your fastball and your changeup. You've got, tr- you got to be able to trust yourself to throw those pitches and do those things when the, when the, when the time comes and the appropriate time comes. That's number one. And then ultimately that word of trust also extends, well, to the play call and to the people around you. You have got to trust in that protection that your guys are going to pick it up and you can't be looking at it and you can't be focused on it and you can't worry about anybody else doing their job up front. You've got to trust that they're going to block. You've got to trust that that receiver is going to come out of his break. And some of his inexperienced people, not named Cason Williams and Austin Safarian Jenkins last year, I think there was a level of trust that, that, that you know, in, that didn't lead to the anticipation necessary. So mm. trust yourself and your skill set and then really trust those people around you. That's all you can do. You're going into your fifth and final year. There's nothing else there. You cut it loose. You trust. And then you let the chips fall where they may. More with ESPN college football analyst Brock Heward on this edition of Motivation with a Purpose after this timeout. You're listening to Motivation with a Purpose Radio on TalkZone.com. Back to your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Welcome back to Motivation with a Purpose and our 2013 college football preview featuring Brock Heward, college football analyst for ESPN. 
Rock, you talked about trust and having confidence in your own ability. And I know you playing quarterback had a lot of confidence, had a lot of confidence in your own ability and had a lot of confidence in leading a team. And I would like you to talk about where that confidence comes for you that you've all so now taken into your radio and television career. Yeah, it's it's pretty simple, and I would say actually that you know I'll be fully transparent with you because that's where the conversation will go. And there's there, it wasn't a hundred percent, it wasn't ninety percent. In my last year of college, I, I took some some real lumps, both playing the game and my own confidence and my own conviction and belief. Uh, not that it was shattered, but it was certainly questioned, and it was certainly an up and down road to battle that. When so many of the guys that I had played with through my first three years had either moved on to the NFL or graduated and we started over and we weren't as good a team. And, uh, and so much of that was on my shoulders and some of that doubt can creep in. And, and that's where ultimately, you know, for me, and I know many Christian athletes, that is the rock of rocks. And that is, you know, not just as a football player who you are, but you know how you were created, why you were created and the purpose for which you were created. Yes. And, uh, and, 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 as low as it got and as tough as sometimes got. And, and it got to the point where my parents had to sit outside the stadium. My mom couldn't come in and listen to the booze and listen to the conversations within, within Esky Stadium. She would sit out in the minivan and sit out in the car and have the radio on because she didn't want to deal with, with, with it anymore. And, and, it, and it was. And it was some tough stretches and some tough lows. And however low it was, you can never forget. And that would be the constant urging both in my spirit and certainly with my mentors and my ministers on campus to know who I was, how I was created, and there was a perfect purpose for everything I was going through, both the good early and certainly the tough times late. Would that be your number one piece of advice to all the athletes that we see today kind of struggle with how to balance that balance the limelight and balance all their on-field uh, responsibilities? And when I think about that, aspect i'm going to ask you one specific question here now what would sure. be your advice to johnny manzel yeah i don't know johnny you know that would be my hope you know i know you guys are like-minded with me in that way and that would be my prayer my hope would it be he could find the lord and the saving grace in that because this world isn't going to offer it to him i'll tell you that having i've not been around every block i'm only 37 years of age but fortunate to have experienced you know so many neat things in my life and what god both collegiately and professionally and now in this media business and in career what it's brought me there's no other answer there there's no other potion there's no other peace there's nothing that this world is going to fill for johnny mandel or for for anybody that just seeks the world and the fame and the fortune to come with it it's empty and it's fleeting and it is you know it is going to come to an end so yeah that would be my hope without knowing johnny real personally i've met him uh, just on a couple of occasions, you know, my hope is that they, that he would find the saving grace because it's not going to be in this world. Brock, I mean, as you say that, um, yeah, the, you know, the essence of the truth and authenticity, you know, we're talking about Johnny here and here is Louisville changing rules and everything and some of the other colleges about how to sign uh, memorabilia and all that stuff. And yeah. Uh, we're talking, we're talking about someone here who is a recent Heisman winner. Uh, now we've got Mr. Clowning out there who is potentially, I guess, one of the top projectors. I mean, where do you think this whole Heisman thing is going to go? Is it a year that a defensive player really steps up and get it done? Or is it just, uh, I mean, let's not even talk about it because it's never going to happen. What do you think? 
Uh, I, I think it can happen. Yeah, I don't want to say never, never. I mean, I know Charles Woodson did it years ago, and he did it right. as a special teams player, and they mixed him in offensively. I mean, Clowney is a is a freak. Zeke. I mean, he really he is just uh, there's a reason that he would, he'd been the number one pick last year, number one pick next year. They, there's just not many humans that are built and put together the way that he is, and, mm. and that have the explosiveness and the strength. And everything that he brings to the table, and he plays in the SEC. He plays for a top ten team. He's going to be on a major stage, but he's got to put up some freakish numbers. I mean, it's got to be you know the Heisman. As you study this and you look at it year in and year out, and Manziel's five thousand yards of offense and ten wins. The team's got to win nine or ten games. I think that's period. They've got to be in the conversation and be you know in a top ten conversation. And then he's got to just put up ridiculous stats, which, you know, he's capable of doing if he can be healthy and do it down in and down out. Can he get 20 sacks? Can he just turn the game upside down and become unblockable? And if so, you know, and he's got some of the physical skill set to do that. If so, then, yeah, I don't think it's an impossibility and will never, ever, ever happen. But but certainly not as easy for him as it is for one of those star quarterbacks or, or running backs to do for sure. Brock, what's on your Heisman list? If we were to pull it out of the top drawer and look at your top three or your top five, who's there right now? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, it's kind of fun being a voter now and, and going through <laughs> it and following it. And I follow it a lot closer as the season goes along. If we've learned one thing, we may as well throw those lists away in the preseason because I didn't have Cam Newton, and I don't think anybody even knew how to pronounce Johnny Manziel's name last year going into last season. So you've seen over the last few years, guys come out of absolutely nowhere. And could that happen again this year? You know, it sure could. And obviously I don't know who that player is, but uh, we'll we'll learn it at some point during the season. Hey, Braxton Miller is going to be a candidate. Ataj Boyd at Clemson, I think, is a guy you're going to want to watch. I think of Marcus Mariota and a DeAnthony Thomas. DeAnthony is going to be asked, I think, to touch the ball instead of ten and a half times a game as he did last year for Oregon. I think he's going to touch it if he can stay healthy 15 to 20 times a game. And that guy is absolutely electric as a runner, receiver, kick returner, everything that he does. Uh, obviously, an A.J. McCarron, if he if he does something, as we talked about earlier, to begin this interview, unprecedented in the history of the game, and that's win three consecutive titles. And if he does it in a way like last year where he throws 30 touchdowns and three picks and leads this country and passing efficiency he's going to be in the conversation so there's no there's no shortage of stars there's no shortage of storylines going into this college football season now brock once again you've done an excellent job of leading me into my next question by mentioning once again marcus Mariota at oregon does oregon have the horses to get it done without chip kelly this time around and why Yes, yes, I do. I don't think they'd have the horses if they had to play in the SEC every single week from a physicality standpoint. I think that they would be challenged. I loved their team a year ago. I would have loved to have seen them really match up with Alabama in the championship game. I don't know on that night as good and physical and as as well oiled as Alabama was, you know, that, that night if they would have gotten them, but they'd have played them a whole lot better than Notre Dame did. I know that for sure. In, in as much as the Chip Kelly loss and departure is a role, the loss of Deion Jordan, one of the top picks, what top five pick to Miami this last draft, the loss of, of Kiko Alonso, their middle linebacker, the loss of Michael Clay, those were three guys in their front seven that were three of their very best players 
And when you're talking about, you know, making a run 12 weeks in or having to match up against an Alabama, we've talked about it over and over in this interview. Your front seven better be really, really good. I, I liked them a lot a year ago. I think they could have, as I said, I wish they would have been in that BCS National Championship game. I got to see them in that front seven. I got to see them against Stanford. I got to see them at Washington. They've got, I think, a very favorable schedule through their first five games to figure out some of those new pieces in the front seven. Uh, But they've got more than enough offensively to challenge. Brock, we're flying through this interview. I'm enjoying you so much, brother. You, I mean, a wealth, a wealth of knowledge just on point firing at us, and this is so fun. So, <laughs> but I got, I got to test y'all a little bit again and say, look, man, take us back as we look at this upcoming football season. Take, a, take us back to Brock's freshman year, much less oh. looking at the top recruits that are coming in. What scared you most of all? And as these top recruits, I mean, obviously, like you said, we didn't know the Menzels and all those other guys that came out of nowhere and won Heisman trophies. But what are they flying high flying? recruits that are all of a sudden going to stun us this year in college football. Can you talk about yourself a little bit coming in and segue right into what you think these guys can expect? You know what? It's, Zeke, it's a whole lot easier to answer questions that are all floating in my big old head. To try to remember, <laughs> back, to, try to, remember back to 1995, man. It's been uh, almost 20 years ago. 1995, I graduated from high school. I say this all the time. I am so thankful that I was not recruited today. Back in 1995, you know, I was fortunate to play in a really good program and I had good grades and my brother and Billy Jehovah and all these guys had been through. So, you know, I had a high recruiting ranking and, and, and back then it was nowhere near, nowhere near what it is today. The, all of the recruiting services and all the magazines and all the bowl games and all the stuff, man, that these kids uh, get, get, you know, the opportunity. I mean, it's cool, but the stuff that just gets thrown upon them. So thankfully, I didn't have to endure any of that way back when. I just know as a freshman coming in, you know, I, I redshirted, and that is also very different. Most of these top recruits today, as I said earlier, it's about getting to the NFL, and they want to play, and I want to play, and I don't want to redshirt, and I don't want to wait. Uh, I want yeah. to get, I want to, you know, I want to get on that field. I want to show what I can do. I want to get to the NFL as quickly as I can. So, you know, times have changed. 18 years later, the recruiting's changed. I think some of the entitlement we talked about changes a little bit with the top recruits and then ultimately you hope you have a program like Alabama like Stanford like some of the elite Ohio State where you come in and you learn right away boy I got to earn it I got to grow up in the weight room I got to grow up in the classroom I got to go out here and I've got a long ways to go to really earn my stripes earn the respect of the people around me Brock uh, I have a question that I want to ask and this goes to the state of college football. We've seen a lot of things in the off-season time that have related to off-the-field issues. Other than, what do you see as the state of college football, and where do we go from here? I think I think college football is on the precipice of some real change. You know, Mark Emmert is the head of the NCAA, and they're under fire, and and, and he's taken a lot of heat for some of the unfortunate scandals and what's gone on in Miami and in some of the different situations over the last few years. I mean, it's gotten really hot for Mark Emmer, but I know that he wants to be an, an institute change. And, and I think you're going to see that in the years to come. I think you're going to see a much more streamlined rule book. I think in years to come, you're going to see uh, a, a probably a different division for the five super conferences, the roughly 60 teams in college football. 
you know, I think, you know, that's the one thing we've learned about college football with all of the conference realignments and all the change and all the turnover that, uh, that the one constant is change. And, and I don't think that's going anywhere anytime soon. I think over the next five to 10 years, if we catch up five years from now or 10 years from now, the college football landscape looks differently. I think the NCAA rule book looks very different. And, uh, and I think you probably see on some level, not a full scale pay and, and anything like pro football, but I think you're going to see uh, some of these student athletes, especially at those maybe 60 programs that, that are, you know, at a different level. I think you're going to see some level of payment to those student athletes as well. So I think we're on the precipice of some change here over the next five to 10 years. I really do. Brock, uh, are you in favor of the upcoming playoff system? I like it. I do. I do. I like it a whole bunch. I, I think, I think eventually it could expand to eight teams. Uh, and, and who knows that that may be better as we get into this thing, but I really do like it. I, I can't wait. We've got one more year, you know, to kind of be the old school and go through the BCS and the computers. Now, now how they get there in that committee, don't, don't ask me to be on that committee and <laughs> good luck trying to find who those committee members are with, uh, with as passionate as the folks are down in the SEC. Uh, they better have some, uh, some, some folks looking out for them, a security detail for that committee. But, I do, uh, I do like where that's going. You know, I'm glad that it's going to be settled that way. I think also in time that will expand to at least eight teams, but for the time being, it's a good start. Brock, if I put you on the spot today, who would you say is going to be in the BCS championship game this year, the final two teams? Well, I think the safe and easy answer is Ohio State and Alabama. Ohio State's Big Ten conference is, is, uh, is, you know, a much easier route than I think some of the others and, and he's much easier than anybody else out of the SEC. Alabama is just athletically and just rolling and the quarterback and their experience and the head coach and their level of depth. And they also have an incredibly favorable schedule. They don't have to play any of the war daddies out of the SEC East. So I think things set up pretty well from a scheduling standpoint. And I'm not a great predictor. I don't make a living doing that. But but if I'm sitting here in August having this conversation, I look at that schedule and I look at the talent one through 85. I think those two have the most favorable run. Brock, my brother, you're. Oh, uh, we are in Husky because your beloved Husky fans are listening to you. I'm pretty sure going to be all over this show. So. Give us some love, your Husky love. What are we going to see? How can you just give us some hope for Husky fans as we enter this this uh, Pac-12 and national football season? Wait till you see the new Husky Stadium. I mean, it is going to blow your mind. It is just unbelievable. It's It really is one of the crown jewels. You can't probably say, well, you can't say right now that the Husky football program is one of the five best in college football. It's not been there, and not been there for some time. But that stadium, without a doubt, is one of the five best venues in college football. And you will hear everybody this season for those six home games raving about it. And I sure hope, I sure hope that Oregon game, that both teams are 5-0 and or right near there so they can get a primetime view. The nation can get a primetime view of just mm. how incredible that place is. It will help them in recruiting. It's, uh, it's going to help in every way, you know, as, as they evolve and move on. And what's going to help them the most is to get over the hump. This is a better than seven and six football team. It's been seven and six, seven and six, and seven and six. This should be, in my estimation, a nine win team. With everything we laid out, with your quarterback, your tight end, your running back, your receivers, your linebackers, your safeties, this is a team that, as they line up for 12 games, 
should find a way, in my opinion, to get to nine wins, and that'd be a step forward. Brock, in closing, explain, if you would, or tell us what your thoughts are, and what is the magic of college football? Why is it so special, and what makes it so special for you as an ex-player and now as a broadcaster? Well, even though it is a billion, billion dollar business, it just does not, and traveling around, it just, it still has a level of purity to it. And, and I know that, you know, the cynic is going to hear that and say that is just ridiculous. But if, if you were to travel around, there is still an innocence of 18 and 19 year old guys trying to figure this thing out. And there still is such an unbelievable passion in so many of these places and, and getting a chance to call games in the SEC as I'll get to do again this year. And if I could take you and, and, and you all could come along, and see Auburn or see LSU or see Alabama or see South Carolina and see so many of these places where, you know, folks six or seven Saturdays a year in their life revolves around those days to celebrate both the history and the tradition and the passion and the fandom with one another. I mean, it is, you know, it is, it is so unique in that way. It is such, uh, you know, and, and so tied in, I think, culturally to many of those areas as well. So, it, it has the pageantry, it has the passion, it has so much of the history and the tradition, and it has so many proud fan bases all around the country that I think makes it uh, one of the most unique sporting uh, events and sporting you know, pastimes that we have. ESPN College Football Analyst Brock Heward has been our special guest on Motivation with a Purpose. We'll be back with more with author Randy Roberts after this timeout on Motivation with a Purpose. 